If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet are of the utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here's your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome everyone to Taming the Wild in Your Dog on this Wednesday. If I sound like I have a closed pin on my nose, uh, it's because I have a cold. And if you have kids that go to school, then you get it. Uh, the kid goes, gets the cold, brings it home, gives it to the wife. The wife then turns around and gives it to the husband, me. And I turn around, and give it to the dogs. They turn around, and give it to the cats. And by the time we're all healthy again, it starts all over again. Welcome to life to having a school-aged kid and get a cold. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to do my best to, but the show must go on. So I'm going to do my best to work my way through this. Yeah, I apologize in advance if it sounds a little nasally. Uh, we'll send you the uh, text version. Uh, so we'll get through it. Okay, so we put out there this week. Again, I don't know where this stuff comes from. It comes from all walks of life, out from underneath every darn rock there is. You can get it from a supposed to be professional that has 29 acronyms behind their name. And I always have to wonder about that, by the way. When you list all the acronyms of memberships that you're part of and certifications, I think you might as well just go ahead and write the very end, insecure. <laughs> and add that. is that an acronym that we can put in insecure? So put that as well. But anyway, so now there's this little thing in writing in a popular magazine. And again, not to rain on someone's parade. I just don't understand why can't we enjoy dogs for what dogs are? Why do we have to make them more than what they are? And when you do this, Again, you set the animal up for failure. You set yourself up for failure. Gosh, there's a lot to love about them and really dig on a dog just for being a dog. It's kind of cool. You know, I, I get that they stink when they roll in poop, but man, you, I'm still fascinated when I see that. I go, man, that's a good rub there. I'm, I, have you ever been tempted to try that, Joshua? A time or two, but I've, you know, the, my human instincts got the better of me. You remember when Dave rolled in all those like oak tree squigglies and he had them all over him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he looked like the Bob Marley of dogs. I so mean, funny. that's what he looked like. Uh, but anyway, so here we go. This week, we were able to read that when dogs lie on your feet, if they sit or lie on your feet, they're doing so because they are protecting you. All right. Now, we humans. We are compulsive anthropomorphizers. We just are. We are always on the lookout for any traits that mimic the human social phenomena. Things like loyalty, betrayal. That's a good thing to know when you're living with a bunch of other humans. Uh, and re re uh, recept reciprocity. Okay. You did what? it. Good job. Thank goodness. Yeah. That's why getting a cold does. It gets into your brain. <laughs> Reciprocity. I say it three times fast. Reciprocity. Reciprocity. Okay. Uh, and, you know, and on top of that, we're always uh, ascribing both malignant and benignant motives to others. It's a large part of what we do is what makes us a human. Think about it. Um, right now, uh, there's a hurricane bearing down on the United States. So we all know the name of that hurricane. It's Dorian. We named it after a human. Uh, the Memphis Bell was a plane. Uh, we have ships named after humans. How many times? Have you stubbed your toe on a table or bumped your head on something and you hopped right up and immediately punched the darn thing? 
kicked it back and it hurts your other toe. Now, again, come on. We all do it. We all do it. We think the darn table on purpose jumped right out there and made sure it got in my way so I'd stub my toe. Thinking table and by punching it, you're going to teach that thing to never, ever do that again. That's what we do. Uh, I understand that as a part of human nature, but it's still compulsive. And it means that we're now primed to seize on programmed behaviors and read what we want into them. And that's what dogs have. They have programmed behaviors. Yeah, that's it's the only thing that we know. So it makes sense that that's the way that we go. I mean, the only type of species that we've ever been able to truly know is our own. So anytime that you observe another animal or, or look even in a, in a case study or a lab study, even then it's hard to separate the human biasness because again, it's the only thing that we've ever known. So it makes complete sense that that's the, the way that we look at it. So all we're asking from our listeners and from our clients and our friends and family is to just try to step outside of that human box and look at an animal for what it is and not for what we hope or perceive it to be. Yeah. You know, and we'll get to it at the end, uh, at little part of the segment here where we talk about what is the problem? What is the problem in your dog line on your feet? But before we get to that, let's just get a little bit deeper into it so we can explain why it's not what you think it is. Um, the protectiveness that we dog owners impute to our pets, trust me, it's not a sign of loyalty to or concern of. And we have to kind of keep that in our heads. And that may make some people upset and go, wait a minute, my dog is very loyal to me. You can be loyal, but not feel like you have to protect. And loyalty on their level is quite unique to their species and not going to be the same as what we have, the same level of cooperation that, uh, that humans find that have risen up above other animals through that cooperation. It's, thing, it's the whole reason why we developed language was because we were living in the close proximity of other humans. And language allowed us to evolve. And, and within a million years, we went from a brain the size of an orange to a brain the size of a grapefruit. Uh, welcome to evolution. But uh, rather, typically what most dogs are doing when they are, it, when it comes to protecting, is a, if they're close to you, we, we call this more facilitated aggression, meaning they are emboldened by you. You know, we always hear the old strength in numbers, strength in numbers. We always do. They're emboldened by you. So in essence, what's happening is you are protecting your dog. I mean, just this morning, we were out in our backyard and they were the, in this community in which we live in, they, they mow the grass and they have you know, lawnmowers and blowers and you name it. And sure enough, as soon as they got near our property, guess where our animals ran to? Right to us. There they are. Even Frank, our cat, who's the most <laughs> deadliest creature on the planet Earth. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Absolutely. He definitely never going to protect you. That's Forget it. He's going to protect his spot on the couch or whatever else. But anyway, there he is, right on my feet. Where's Captain the Cattle Dog? Right on my feet. They run back to you because their strength in numbers. And that's what young wolves do in their pack. It's what adolescent wolves do in their pack. And dogs, because of evolution, we have created perpetual adolescent wolves in the form of dogs. But they're just really emboldened by numbers. And this is normal. This is what we see in nature all the time. Uh, you see it in birds. They'll do what's called mobbing, meaning a bird by itself, a blue jay, if a hawk flies by, no, blue jay 
would be zero, Hawk would be one. Uh, so a blue jay doesn't take on Hawk by itself, but the blue jay wants to protect its nest. And therefore, it joins in with the common starling that happens to be nearby, or the robin, or the mockingbird. And they all give chase to this hawk. And we see this, uh, multiple numbers uh, living together anytime you have multiple numbers. If you have a wolf who's the leader of a pack, if he decides that he is going to punish another member of the pack, physically attack another member of the pack, don't think for a second that everyone sits around going, oh, I'm going to watch this. No, the lower ranking wolf sees the opportunity to go, oh, I've been waiting for this moment. I've been number six forever. <laughs> I've been, and now number four is getting handed to him by number one. I'm going to jump in the fray here. Maybe we can just knock on number four down to number seven, and that's going to suit me really well. It's, it just happens. So again, when, you're, when you have uh, your dog near you, in most cases, it's going to be one of facilitated aggression. You know, and another reason for that is that dogs, they benefit from indirect reciprocity. And that's the advantage of an individual gained by joining a group just to further its own interest. Now, you have to really think about this because, again, a lot of people will go, wait a minute. My dog's part of my family. Uh, my dog loves me. My dog is loyal to me. I get it. But I'm going to tell you what. If you died in a car accident and the door was left open, the dog would suddenly find itself on its own. It's not going to just give up right then, lay down on the grass or the road and just die. It's going to turn very quickly into a wandering animal, scavenging wherever it can. Hence, that's what strays do all the time. Um, again, and when we have indirect reciprocity, that's what we're talking about even with the birds. Uh, I'll use the example of the common sterling. They will fly in a massive group, anywhere from just a few, uh, few dozen all the way over to a million, it's been counted. But on their own, they can still survive on their own. They can lay their eggs on their own. They can uh, acquire food on their own. But here's what they have a difficult time acquiring. is enough food for their offspring when they're by themselves and also protection. When you're in a flock, you have Thousands of eyes or hundreds of eyes looking for that owl, looking for that hawk, looking for that eagle, looking for that ground-dwelling mammal who wants to climb up the tree. You have thousands of eyes. You have thousands of capability for hearing, smelling, detecting a predator. So in a group, man, you are far more protected, far more advantage of surviving than just simply being by yourself. Um, but outside of that flock, they can survive on their own. But also as far as finding food goes, when I'm in large numbers, well, there we go again. And now I have thousands of eyes that can locate food, thousands of beaks that can detect odors and hearing. You, you bet. So strength in numbers. And we see with humans, look at gangs, look at clubs that you join, look at all the things that you join as a group, strength in numbers. Uh, wolves, their pack. The larger the pack is, then as long as there's an apple food supply, then the better they are at continuing their existence. It's almost like immortality. Your leaders are replaced by the young. The young then have offspring for many years. They're replaced by their young, so on and so forth. Almost like immortality. Um, a good example of this indirect reciprocity was in the Croatian War of 1991 to 1995 uh, and in the Croatian War of Independence. That was a very war-torn country. They, they had 
thousands of people were killed and thousands upon thousands of dogs were immediately displaced from their homes. Immediately, they had no home to go back to. Uh, everyone was either dead or they had fled from the area, war-torn, bombed every, going off everywhere, houses destroyed, a really dark time, and you know, again, in mankind's history. But these dogs immediately started to fall back on the same instinct that governs them from their wolf ancestor. And they started to form packs. They started to move about in pack-like groups and organize themselves. They developed hierarchies. You name it. They went back to being basically domesticated wolves at that point. Um, and that sometimes can be the result of what we call direct reciprocity. And that's where you trade. That's just a trade. That's all it is. That's the, that's the good old barter system. i tell you what. You know, I, I caught these rabbits. So I'll trade you these two rabbits for that blanket you're making over there. We, it was, it's been around for since mankind could communicate to another human being. It's, it's been here. And dogs take advantage of that as well. But to really protect you, to get down to it. So again, we've talked about wolves. We've talked about indirect and direct reciprocity. We've talked about strength in numbers, talked about being emboldened by you and facilitate aggression. The, if they are going to truly protect you, First of all, they have to be able to accurately discern a threat. Number one, what is a threat? What is not? Number two, there would have to be some sort of kin selection. Kin selection. And that is the action of the individual promotes their survival and production of relatives other than its offspring. So again, we see this in a wolf pack. You have your young adults who are now taking care of the adolescents. And the adolescents are taking care of the juveniles. And then mom and dad are chipping in, taking care of the newborn. This is kind of like a family. It's a family. And the closer the degree of kinship, the more effective the influence. Uh, again, looking from a family standpoint, most people are more likely to risk life and fortune for a brother rather than a cousin. So again, the closer you degree of kinship you have, then the more you're willing to lay it down for that particular person. Uh, so the animal would have to have some sort of kinship and that doesn't really flow because that would take species to species. We're missing so many parts in our connection with dogs that, and again, no one knows for sure what goes on in the head of a dog. You have to go be one for a little while and then come back. And actually you'd have to hop in the heads of thousands of dogs just to find out what does that herding dog think all the time versus the, the labradoodle that's over here. But outside of that, what we can take is pure observation, good research that has been done that has blanketed the species itself. And now we know just a few things more than what we used to know. Uh, kinship is really important. And for a dog to have kinship with you, it would have to perceive you are a relative. And again, I get it. They're a young puppy and you pick them up when they're really young and they're imprinted to you. There's still these missing parts. You can't speak dog language no matter how hard you try. And they will never, at least not for several million years, ever have the ability to speak the human language. That by itself is a gulf that will just never be never be crossed. They'll never come together. And that creates all sorts of issues uh, 
with regard to this. So if they, if they think you're a relative and if you want to believe that, then you'd also have to be either offspring or have derived from that same lineage. Uh, and which then, what does that really say about you? You know, if the dog looks at you like you're the offspring, then if I need to protect you, then of course the perception of the animal is you are incapable of protecting yourself. And we've talked about it before and I'll talk about it again. There's a reason why when wolves travel anywhere as a group, they will travel in a single file line until they detect their food source that they were going after. Why were they traveling in the first place? Whenever they detect that, then they'll start to fan out and it's very strategic. They'll form different strategic type patterns, A patterns, you name it, to again accomplish their goal to get more food, to get more energy. But when they travel in that straight line like that, you'll usually find the leaders either in the front or the back. And it just really depends upon the terrain. An open area, I'm in the back. Makes sense. I can keep an eye on all the rest of my offspring and coast looks clear. So let's just all go that way. I'm just a big shepherd of a flock. However, once we cross into dense forest or over hilly terrain where the vision has been degraded somewhat, now I'll move to the front. Because if we do round a corner or crest the top of this hill and there's danger, who's more equipped to deal with it? Mom, dad, you betcha. You wouldn't lead your, let your kids lead you, I hope, into a dangerous area. So again, if your dog is protecting you, then we need to sit back and kind of think about what's up here. Why does it feel it needs to protect you? Because I guarantee if that is happening outside of a trained protection dog, then we have some issues in other areas. And we've covered that many times about obedience, uh, you know, not having a distributed leadership, so on and so forth. Um, but protection dogs, speaking of them, I was a police canine officer for several years, and my dog was more than capable of protecting me. However, he wouldn't protect me from the guy who came up and gave me a chest bump. He wouldn't protect me from the one who gave me a high five or the one that yelled at me or the one who grabbed me and wrestled with me on the ground. Because he was trained to respond, just like we do any training, to a stereotype signals. Meaning, if you point anything that looks like a weapon at me, immediately respond. If you have a bat, a stick, anything that looks like a weapon, immediately respond. If they're running from me, don't respond unless you're told to. Then if you are told to, if they say, uncle, I give before you reach them, then stop and now hold them at bay. Uh, I had a friend of mine who raised a paintball gun at me and came within about probably about half an inch of losing his arm uh, because the dog immediately responded. And his question was, why? That was a paintball gun. It wasn't a real gun. But again, the dog couldn't tell the difference in the two. And that was his fault for, for doing that. Um, at the end of the day, if dogs have not been trained to respond to a certain stimuli, then we fall back on natural instinct. And your dog does not fit in the level of eusocial cooperation that requires that you are a member or you have kin selection in which now you're either my offspring or you're my relative. 
And at the end of the day, they, when it comes to protecting anything, it's all about protecting food and offspring. So again, food and babies, babies and food. That's it. Even in territories, a lot of people are mistaken and they think that a wolf's territory is a big grocery store. Uh, well, before it's that, and it certainly can be that, but before it's a grocery store, it is an area of space away from my enemies. If you, again, if you have kids, you don't want to have them dead smack in the middle of a war zone. You want to have a little bit of clearing. You want to have a little space. Distance is safety. Distance is safety. So territories, when we've looked at wolf packs and their territories for many years, you'll find that the nesting area, the den area, will usually be found in a very strategic location within that territory because they don't want their offspring being killed by wolves that are on extraterritorial forays. Heck yeah, when a wolf from another pack gets the opportunity to kill a wolf cub, oh yeah, they're going to seize that in a heartbeat because A, I just got something to eat and B, I just eliminated a potential customer or not customer, I'm sorry, opponent. Uh, <laughs> customer, yeah, you can be a customer of mine, right? I'm going to say you something here. Uh, I'm going to give you that direct reciprocity. <laughs> I'll trade you for something. I'll let you live if you promise to bring me all the food or half the food that you kill over the next year. But it's a, so the, what is a problem? I think that's the biggest thing. What is the problem? Well, when you think that your dog is protecting you, when you think that, then you tend to let your guard down, number one, right off the bat. Now you think, I've got four-legged protection, so I don't need to pay attention to this person approaching me. I don't need to, what was that little thing that went bump in the night or the little sound? I need to worry about it because the dog's going to take care of it. So you're not really prepared for a true attack. You are caught completely off guard. And the next thing you know, you're having to save yourself and your darn dog at the same time. Uh, there's been way too many documented cases in which people broke into people's homes and the dog didn't protect them. They, they went the other way. And then there's a few that, that have, but again, I'll leave to it why that occurred. Uh, the other problem with this is believing that your dog is protecting you is that it gets reinforced. It gets reinforced. And by golly, when that happens, uh, success begets success. So in other words, you're sitting there and your dog is lying at your feet and all of a sudden, woof, 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 and some truck pulls up to drop off a package and you go, oh, good boy, good boy, way to let me know someone is here. You tell them, you show them, don't be there coming on my territory. Well, now the dog's going, hmm, I got someone who's actually animated back there, not just binging on Netflix. So we got strength in numbers here and I ran that darn thing off. In fact, watch it drive off. Look at me, look how well I did. So it just gets worse and worse over time. What, what percentage would you say, Brian, of the dogs who act that way is actually acting out of fear? Oh, well, that's the next thing I was getting to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so again, not only will the behavior be reinforced, the mailman who is bitten by a dog, trust me, it wasn't the first time the dog saw a particular foreign person a, in what they would perceive as an alien on their territory. Well, oh, no, it starts off with an alarm and then it grows and grows and grows. And that's my, my point is, is I've met a lot of people who, you know, their dog was barking at me and they go, they'll just try to calmly explain to me, she's just protecting me. And my question is, is why do you want your dog to live in a world where every single potential thing that it encounters is a threat and then therefore somebody needs protecting? 
that's not a life I would want to live to where every little thing I encounter that comes to my door that walks outside the side on the sidewalk is a potential threat. That's a really scary world to live in. Well, you know, I talk to these clients every day and every single one who has a reactive dog that reacting either to other people or other dogs, they are sure the dog is protecting them. And honestly, they don't know if they want that to go away. It feels good to think that we're being protected by something that loves us. So they well, just, they don't understand. And I will also say, I have three very big dogs, two of which that react very strongly when, when somebody's at the door, but the good news is I can call it off. However, the fact that they do react that way at the door does give me a peace of mind because if somebody is at the door and they hear two giant dogs erupt and barking and growling, then if they did have ill intentions when they came to my door, they probably are are second guessing whether they're going to go through with those ill intentions. Yeah. So there is a level of feeling protected, but not in the way that a lot of people want it to be. Yeah. But you want to be able to turn that off. Absolutely. And you also don't want to have them suffer the consequence of a door one day that's not closed properly. Right. Uh, There's a reason why when I wrote the book, the hammer, why dogs attack us and how to protect, uh, why they attack us and how to prevent it is that in the year 2016, over 9,000 U.S. postal workers were attacked by dogs. And again, I don't think they came burying with uh, bad in- intentions or right, right. or ill thoughts. Uh, they were simply the victim of an animal who had already probably chased them off several other times at the door or at the fence. And suddenly one day, the physical con- uh, constraint was able was not able to hold the dog in any longer. And there you go. Um, so yeah, you, you, we've got to be careful with that. If you are going to have your dog and believe that your dog is protecting you, and if you ever reward it, you don't shut it down, then it should really be a viable threat, or at least what you honestly believe was. Again, you hear a sound in the night. You look outside, pitch black, dark. You don't normally hear that. It sounds like someone trying to break in your, uh, kick your door in or get in the garage, you name it. Yeah, I definitely get that. But to allow your dog to growl and bark and growl and bark and lunge at people all the time, thinking it's protecting you, one day that innocent person is going to be attacked. They're going to be bitten because the leash just went a little further than what you estimated would, something, a catastrophic failure from your equipment, so on and so forth. And then lastly, when you think your dog is protecting you, like you kind of hit on just a little bit, Joshua, you may know, you become, you have tunnel vision at that moment. You think, wow, it is protecting me. When there could be a deeper, darker underlying issue uh, in which we now have an animal that perhaps we have a developing secure base attachment where the animal has morphed now from, I dig you to, oh, I have to have you, uh, which then starts to go into separation anxiety type issues there. We have, it could be a, a coping mechanism with anxiety. It could be a misperception of the ability to per- properly perform IFF, identification friend or foe. This is an animal that may have to be treated with a pharmacotherapy type program. It may need the, the treatment of a very specialized individual who can recognize, is this dog possibly suffering from a mental illness? Okay. But, uh, you know, and, and, and when you do have that, by the way, any condition like that, that is left unchecked, that is not treated properly will worsen. Okay. Now that's a fact it will worsen. So again, it's just a matter of, wow, is my dog really protecting me? Well, if it is, was it really worth it? Is, was it a real threat? 
so on and so forth. But I tell you what, we're going to take a short break. I want to get something to drink uh, and clear my throat up here a little bit. And after we come back, we'll finish. We'll wrap this up. And then we, we have some really good questions. We have great questions. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go ahead and take a short break. We'll be right back and we'll wrap it up. Take care. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, send an email to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now, back to the show. All right, so before the break, we were talking about does your when your dog's lying on your feet, does that mean that they're protecting you? Again, I don't think there's any sort of absolutes when it comes to behavioral science. Yes, that could happen with a few dogs. But the vast, vast majority, no, that is not what's happening. And again, if you just before the break, we talked about it. Make sure that if you reinforce this and you are, if you're not shutting it down, if you're not saying, no, 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 lay down, stay, be quiet. If you're not taking action when your dog is attacking that front door or lunging at someone walking by you on a sidewalk or any number of, of reasons, then you are promoting and reinforcing the behavior. And lo and behold, good Lord, you ever pet the dog? Oh, good boy. Way, way to protect me. You are setting this animal up to fail and it's going to bite someone. And at the end of the day, it's the animal that can end up losing its life. You know, you could be sued and someone got hurt and you got to live with that. So don't set your dog up for failure. There's a, there's a reason why dogs attack. There has to be a benefit for them. Uh, we, we were talking about it during the break. 
for those of you who are just listening to the radio, uh, even a great white shark will dive down to depths of 100 feet and then propel itself upward and hit a sea lion weighing 60 pounds and kill it right on contact. Contact is risky. And why would an animal risk contact with another human being? For what? You know, I've got food. I got fed this morning. I don't have any offspring. Uh, why? More reasons than not. I am protecting myself. And you just happen to be behind me. So there, hence the misperception. I think it's important to mention that the dogs don't really understand the concept of nurturing. So if you're telling your dog, it's okay, don't be afraid, and you're, you're petting and that kind of thing, they're, they're receiving the same message as if you were saying, way to go, good dog, keep it up. Good job sitting. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> so uh, it really good. has to be completely shut down. There can't be any confusion in the signal that's given to the dog. And you're not only rewarding the behavior that it's performing, the barking, the growling, you're also rewarding the dog's state of mind. You're also reinforcing and, and, and letting them know that this is the proper way to respond and act in this specific moment. Well, that's how real protection dogs are trained. I right. always tell people, if it's been trained by a qualified individual, a protection dog is one of the uh, least liable animals on the planet. They're yeah. so reliable. I loved having my dog around people because I knew that he was not going to bite you unless you did X, Y, and Z. If you, if you do those, you stood a good chance of being bitten. They're very reliable animals because, again, just like an animal that comes to you when you call it, lays down, stays, whatever, they're responding to stereotyped signals that they've received over the months, years possibly, and now they're going to respond to it. But outside of that, you just got to think, why? Why, hey, even if you feel you need to protect me, what's up with me? Uh, who am I? Uh, how weak am I? What, what's going on here? And B, uh, why do you need to protect this? Uh, again, it mostly starts from fear and that's okay. You, you can you can give your dog confidence by being near you, but just shut the behavior down and say, hey, I got this. I got it. And by doing so, like you were talking about, Joshua, you build filters into the dog. Remember Dax, if he ever growled, if this German Shepherd of mine ever growled, there was a you, threat. <laughs> you could guarantee that there was someone who was not invited standing right outside my house. You could guarantee that. But we uh, took him to an elementary school. We did not worry about him biting anyone. I mean, yeah. he was incredibly socially clear. Yeah, absolutely. But if you come up to my house, you're not invited. You, you, you walk over and sit on my back deck on a Sunday morning about 6 a.m. because you're reminiscing from when your grandpa lived there several years prior. Uh, well, yeah, my dog's going to <laughs> growl at you for sure. And that's exactly what happened. So we built filters into it. And then you could now know, hey, if Dax is growling, there's a reason for it. And now I am on guard. I am going to be ready in case we are attacked. We're looking. So again, just to wrap this whole thing up here, uh, A, if it's a real threat or you, you believe it's a real threat, then reinforce it. Amen. Go for it. Yeah, you bet. Don't even come near my garage. Don't try and call my bedroom window at 2 a.m. But if not, shut it down because it will get worse. And again, for decades, I've interviewed people who have been the victim of dog attacks. And I've also interviewed those. It was their dog that did the attacking. And I'm here to tell you, shut it down for everyone's sake, for yourself, everyone else. Or just, and by doing so, you'll just build filters and it'll all be good. Now you'll know. You'll know for sure. All right. If you have any more questions on 
if dogs lie on your feet, so the definitive answer, no, they're not protecting you. Um, reach out to Brian with a Y at TamingTheWild.com and we'll be glad to dig into that a whole lot deeper with you because, man, I could spend hours on this, way getting deep into use sociality, uh, you know, all sorts of issues there. It could just go for, for hours. But let's move on because we got other things to cover. All right. So, again, as I said at the beginning of the show, this stuff comes at you from everywhere. I swear, why can't we just enjoy a dog for being a darn dog? Why do we have to I'm gonna turn them into humans? Why do we have to? What, again, what does that say about us? What does that say? Our needs aren't being fulfilled. There you go. Yeah. Big time. And so, therefore, we got to solve that. But there's this, this website called weloveanimalsforever.com. And they have this thing called Animal News. Oh, my gosh. And they listed nine things about your dog. And I don't even know where they were going with this or what they're they trying to They wanted you accomplish. to understand what your dog was really seeing right. when they So, did this. we're not going to go over all nine <laughs> of them because we got questions to answer. But, Kira, let's just go over a couple of them real quick. Okay. So, the first thing is the classic puppy eyes when your dog is giving you the puppy eyes. They say when someone gives you the puppy eyes, it's usually because they want something, but that does not apply to our pets. When dogs give us the puppy eyes, it's to show trust and that there is an emotional bond between you two. Oh, you left out the ah. Uh, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> All righty. Well, we had an episode in which we talked about dogs actually developing the muscle in their upper eyelids so they can enlarge in their eyes and give you even bigger puppy eyes. Guys. <laughs> it's manipulation. Again, love them for what they are. Hey, you're a little con guy. You're a little con girl. I love you, man. <laughs> I, I see where you're going with this darn thing. And I play to it so many. We all do. You give me the puppy eyes and I think, oh, I just got to give you a pet. You know, I, I wasn't thinking about petting you a, a two a seconds ago. You bet. Or up on the couch. And then you have a whole lot of fun doing it. Just embrace it for what it is. It is manipulation. And it's also, and can be, deflecting aggression, meaning you are having an argument with someone or you are upset about something. And now they're, they can't understand your words, but they can definitely understand your body English. And they're going, Oh, Oh no. Uh, so that'd be one of those where here, if Kira's mad at me right now, I'm going to give her the puppy eyes and hopefully her anger will shift to Joshua right next to me. Who's not giving her the puppy eyes. And I'm really good puppy eyes. <laughs> well, you'd have to, to, to get to fend her off. Let me tell you that. So it could be a number of those, but again, embrace it for what it is. Next one. <laughs> okay, next one. And I know this happens to everyone. In fact, I have two dogs and a cat that go to the bathroom with me. When they follow you to the toilet, what does it mean? If your dog is following you into the bathroom when you need to do your business, it's a good sign. It shows your dog feels close to you. Oh, that's way too close for comfort. <laughs> I, I'm telling you. And there, there are just times where you shouldn't have to have another living thing with you. You know, and if you feel like that, then go to my native land, Alaska, and go potty up there. You could have a wolverine snuggling up to you. You could have a <laughs> wolf snuggling up to you. You could have a moose. You name it. Listen, I'll take my dog in the bathroom with me all day, every day, as long as my two-year-old stops following me into the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> the two-year-old two-legged. Yeah, yeah, yeah the okay. two-legged two-year-old. So let's point yes, that out yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I don't understand that other than unless you have a reason for it. So when you leave the bathroom and people walk by and go, whoo, you can say it was the dog. Yeah. That wasn't me. I don't know. But anyway, so beyond that, if you want to take your dog to the bathroom with you, 
go ahead. Well, it only makes sense, Brian, because you know, you walk the dog outside to go to the bathroom. They walk you to the bathroom to go to the bathroom. Oh, so they're housebreaking you. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And protecting you at the same time. Right. Only if they they sit on your feet. Only if they sit on your feet. Right. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the next one. This is fun. This is a good one. A really good one. So if your dog goes wild when you get home, this is what it really means. One great thing about dogs is that they don't hide their feelings. A dog who jumps frantically when you get home is just really happy to see you. You should be grateful. (laughs) As you're putting on band-aids. <laughs> and as the dog pushes over your 85-year-old grandma and now yeah. needs a hip replacement. Well, this cord, Joshua, stretched long enough to go around my throat. <laughs> Just kill me now. That is the worst one. Oh, it really is. Oh, my God. Be grateful your dog is jumping all over you and accosting your guest. Oh, Lord. Where does it end there? I've had clients who claim that people don't come over to their house anymore because their dog is, is jumping all over them. So are we grateful for no longer having friends? Well, it depends, depends on, on who was coming. I, yeah, I guess. True. If I, just jump on my in-laws. Jump on them. Go yes. for it. You know, I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, just want to give you a sample of what is out there. Again, I said at the beginning of the show, it comes from everywhere. From everywhere. Do you really want your dog jumping on you, clawing you, jumping on you? No, you don't. Do you want it jumping on your guest? Have some appreciation for your guest. Be, be courteous. Don't let your dog jump on them. I've seen people seriously injured by this, falling backwards, hit their head, break their pelvic bone, you name it. No, don't. Don't be grateful for that. Hey, I'm glad that you're happy. I'm here. Got it. I love you too. But notice I don't jump on you. So don't you be jumping on me either. Have rules. Live with your animal and embrace it for what it is. Well, they're not jumping just because they're happy to see you, right? They want to jump to get head level. Yes, yes they want to achieve a head level status. The problem is we're vertical. So if you want to make that go away, I guess crawl through your front door and have everyone else do the same thing. Just Dog crawl stops. on yeah. all fours. Dog stops jumping if you get on all fours. There you go. Now we're head level. It's all over with from there. All right. Well, that was the little bit of the news thing. We've got really important questions to answer. So let's, let's hop to those. Okay. Okay. I have a dog that licks the floor. He does this several times a day. He's 12 and a half years old and just started doing this about six months ago. Okay. So I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to assume that the dog is not cleaning your floor, that you are keeping your floor clean. Because again, those people who do not do that, then yeah, you will have a dog licking up food residue, so on and so forth, stuff that you've tracked in, you name it. Uh, But if we rule that out, then the next thing I want you to rule out is any sort of physical disabilities that your dog may have. Whenever a dog, like a human, starts to lose a sense, then the other senses have to now do the heavy lifting. They will start to become more, uh, their capabilities will become enhanced. Uh, Many dogs will actually lick something to be able to smell it better. There's a vernacular scroll in the roof of their mouth. If they lick up the scent, now they can smell it uh, much better. We used to have tracking dogs that would do that to actually lick the ground uh, as they moved along. So I would look for any sort of disabilities. Uh, Check out your dog's eyesight. Uh, Maybe it's using the licking to help navigate from one area to the next. It could also be, of course, this is a 12 and a half year old dog. This is an older dog. One thing that is a fact, as dogs age like humans, a sense of vulnerability starts to come on them. It does. We recognize that we're older. We do. A lot of humans will suffer from depression later in life. We're older and you feel more vulnerable. Again, from the instinct in which your dog's behavior is drawn from, 
out in the wild when the old wolves have uh, uh, offspring that, that grow into very strong young males and females, at a certain point, those young males and females will kick the parents to the curb, not the other way around. So they'll be booted out and they won't live long after that. You do have to have numbers in the wintertime that you can survive in the summertime on your own. But wintertime, when you have to hunt the larger game, you really need to have help doing that. So there's a sense of vulnerability, which then could cause your animal to start to become more anxious. And when they're more anxious, they start to develop coping mechanisms, everything from nursing on blankets, on, on the uh, corners of pillows to licking floors. It's more than likely... If I had to guess right now, 12 and a half years old, it started six months ago. It has continued. So again, we can rule out the darn dirty floor thing. At some point, the floor had to have gotten clean. Um, and the dog's satisfied. I've eaten enough food. I don't feel like I need to lick anything. I believe that we're dealing with some sort of anxiety issue. And it could be I just that sense of vulnerability. It could also be to the fact that my cardiovascular system is no longer as efficient as it used to be, which means it's not pumping all the nutrients that it needs to pump to my brain. And I'm now starting to suffer a little bit from some dementia, uh, which can then roll into higher anxiety, which then rolls into coping mechanisms that become OCD in, in, in a lot of ways. If this dog came to see me, that's exactly what I'm hunting for. Well, Poe does this because she's anxious, right? One yes. of our rats, Morkies. Yes. <laughs> yes, Morky. Yes. Yeah. She'll lick she anything, does. the couch, your jeans, yep. anything. Yeah, it'll drive you crazy. Indeed. Okay, are you ready for the next one? I am ready. All righty. My trainer told me that I need to train an emergency recall on my dog. I'm a bit confused. What is the difference between an emergency recall and a normal recall. How would my dog know if it's an emergency? Seems kind of silly to me. You know, when you, on the face value of it, it would seem silly. But what is the difference between, she asked, between the normal recall and the emergency recall? It's the signal. Remember, they don't have language. Animals operate off of signals, stereotype signals. So again, two years go by and you say, Fido, come. Fido, come. Fido, come. And then after two years of vital come, your dog is suddenly out on the road. Car is bearing down on it. Do you think you say, oh, there's a car bearing down on my dog. I got to stay <clears throat> cool, calm, and collected. Fido, come. Oh, no. It's Fido, Fido, Fido. You know, and I can't yeah. get my boys up really high, so maybe you can do it, Joshua. Get up there really high, <laughs> or someone can. Start screaming, oh, my God. And that's what happens is you are now screaming. You're giving animated signals. You're not doing the one arm out, extended out back to your chest. No, you're going, oh my God, you're waving your arms everywhere. You're running towards the dog even. A lot of people actually start to run towards the dog, which now the dog lifts his head and goes, oh my God, what the heck's going on here? And you can actually stall your dog. They'll freeze. Because again, why would I freeze? Because I, I, I don't understand I'm it. confused. Uh, why is she running at me? Is she attacking me? Did I do something wrong? I mean, a thousand things go to that head in about a two seconds flat, but that's long enough for the car to now run over your dog. So uh, I get it. On the surface value, yes, it does seem silly, but in real life, it's not the least bit silly. If you ever want a dog to be reliable in its response to any command, you had better train the dog under all the conditions in which you imagine you, you would ever give that command. And I am here to tell you, if anyone's ever called their dog out of danger, you did not look like, sound like, move like, 
in any way, shape, or form, fashion that resembled a cool, calm training type scenario recall. So again, I actually, if, if that's what the trainer meant, my, my hat's off. Well done, sir. Yeah, the, I, I think that the funny thing here is, is now we're going to have all these people out in the park and <laughs> they're just going to be <laughs> screaming and yelling, come! Okay. And, and people are going to be, what's going on? What's, do we need I, to leave? Yeah, do we need to go? <laughs> <laughs> it could be, yeah. but I think it's a consequence that uh, it has a better benefit at the end of the day. There's, a, there's another option too that the trainer could have met and it's something that I apply with my own dogs. And it's just a way in which that I don't overuse my come and called. I use it regularly to, to you know, reinforce it, but I'm not just constantly dogs four feet away from me and I'm saying come every single time. So I have kind of a more casual here and then I have a uh, get your butt over to me right this second, come. So that's just kind of my way of distinguishing. I'm casually going this direction. I need you to also go this direction. And then also, hey, I need you to come to me in a very controlled, formal manner. Yeah. You know, and, and one last little point on that one, dogs uh, with their enhanced auditory capabilities. When we reach a certain octave, certain decibel with our screaming at them, your whole command could be overmodulated. It'd be like the old trick that when I was a teenager, someone crawled in my car, turned my radio up full blast. So then when we cranked it up, you got the windshield wiper to go a thousand miles an hour and the radio going thousand you know, decibels and blows your ears out. I didn't understand what was being played at that moment for a song. I'd have to turn it way down. So next thing you know, we're yelling at our dogs and we overmodulate our commands. And now again, confusion. And when animals are confused, just like a human, the brain says no. They don't respond. They either don't respond at all or they avoid and they run away. And if you run at your dog, oh my God, get out of here, get out of there. You could actually run your dog right into a car. Uh, I would definitely practice a couple of emergency recalls. I would make sure that the dog, just like you, Joshua, has two separate signals that it will respond the same, just under two different types of signals. And so therefore, I, I actually like that. That's w well done on that trainer's behalf. Good deal. Okay. <clears throat> I was at the local dog park recently and two dogs got into a fight. Why do all the dogs, including mine, run towards the fight? Is there anything I can do to make them stop that? Well, I kind of answered that during the first portion of the show. It's uh, facilitated aggression, uh, strength in numbers. It's a pack thing, even though they may not feel like they're a member of a pack at a dog park. And in fact, I guarantee they don't unless they, you're take, you take your dog there the same day every day and meet the same dogs there every day. Then they, they can. They can actually start to think that they own the dog darn dog park. But for the most part, it is one of those foggy, misty uh, ripple effects from a time in which, hey, that's what we do do. Uh, dogs don't do everything exactly like a wolf does. Wait, that's called evolution. Wolves have been evolving at the exact same time that dogs have been evolving. They were the same creature. We're still guessing between somewhere between 40,000, 100,000 years ago, they were the exact same creature but then some parted ways with the other one. And when they did, they've now been evolving since that point in time, but not as much as what we would like to think, not enough to become human. And we have to keep, always keep this in mind. So most dogs will run over because, A, I want to see what's going on. And from a distance, they may not even know what is happening. I get a little closer and come to find out, wow, that's the ball. That is the ball. 
that I have not been able to get my mouth on all day long. All the other dogs have, but there it is laying right there. I'm going to go for it. It could be something competitive. It could be something where I'm just now, yeah, that dog, I can't stand that darn dog. I'm just going to put it down. I want to rise up a little bit. You can't put a group of dogs together and not within seconds that they don't start establishing who are you and who am I. That's just, that's just what they do. I mean, good Lord, go to anything. Be invited to some sort of convention or anything. It doesn't matter. Uh, you go into the room and you're immediately sizing up the other people in the room. We just all do that. You know, who am I and who are you? What do you have? What do I not have? It human nature and it has to be. We're mammals just like them. We do the same thing. To me, instead of scratching my head wondering why they're doing it, they are doing it. I just told you why they're doing it. Me, I'm going to train them to come back when, and call. I see my dogs run into a fray like that. Oh, I, I'm now imagining the $3,000 vet bill. Yeah. I'm going to call my dog back. Okay, you're not going to join us. I get why you want to do it. You're just not going to do it, period. And for anybody who's listening that takes their dogs to a dog park, this brings up an excellent point. Anytime I've ever been to a dog park and there's been a fight that breaks out, the one of the biggest issues that that stops the, the dog fight from being resolved is other people not being able to control their dogs. So if a dog fight does break out and it's not with your dogs, step one, get control over your dog. I, that, that's been a consistent issue with dog fights that I've experienced is that they, other people's dogs get into the fight when it could have been prevented. Yeah. All right. We only have a couple of minutes left. So is there another question we can get through? We have one more. My dog has a terrible habit of chasing cars. What can I do to break her from doing that? Well, that's going to have to be training done in one of two ways. Either A, you can make the car very bad prey, which then would eliminate your need to always be there. Uh, so if you leave the house and the dog chases a car, it won't do it any longer because it associates the car as bad prey. Uh, or you can simply call your dog, kind of like if they're running to a group of dogs at a dog park about to have a fight, you call your dog back to you. Animals assign a benefit to every behavior. And over a period of time, either way you do it, the cost of doing it becomes greater than the benefit, then the behavior will stop. And I think the best means to get that thing done is probably just use a remote caller. Make sure you know how to use it properly. Make sure you've done all your pairing, all the things we talked about in the past. But it allows you to reach out there and touch your dog at a distance. And that is a very bad habit. That can cause an accident. The person can swerve in their vehicle. No, make that go away. But either way that you choose to do so isn't a big deal. But that's driven from prey, prey. All right, guys, uh, going to get ready to close up here next week. You'll definitely want to tune in next week because I've got a question for you. Does the government know what's best for you and your dog? For example, there's a local dog park that says prong collars, pinch collars, choke collars, or spike collars are not permitted in the park. This is a dog park, now keep in mind. Dogs requiring this level of control are less likely to socialize properly and are not permitted in the park. Okay, well, I've got a couple things to say about that, and I'm definitely going to say it next week for sure. So you'll want to tune in for that and see if, if the government has the right to step in and speak on our behalf and, and govern us in a way that is not really necessary and, or at least doesn't have any sort of a reasonable basis behind it. So that'll be next week, guys. In the meantime, reach out to us here at TamingTheWild.com, and you can reach out to me and send any questions to Brian with a Y at TamingTheWild.com. Hey, guys, have a great week. We'll see you next week.
Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild and Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information,